We're now being joined by Richard Sandemir, a longtime New York Times columnist and uh, now the author of Pride of the Yankees, Lou Gehrig, Gary Cooper, and the making of a classic. And Richard, Mark Melusis, Maggie Gray, uh, happy fourth, and thanks for a couple minutes this morning. Good, Richard, thank thanks so much for joining us. You know, we hear that speech, and any baseball fan knows about Gehrig's accomplishments. You know, the Triple Crown winner, two-time league MVP, a six-time World Series champion. Yet the movie added an even uh, bigger layer to his legacy with Gary Cooper playing the role of Lou Gehrig. How did an already larger-than-life baseball player become even bigger by this movie adaptation? Well, in a way, he wasn't that larger than life. Remember, he played in the shadow of Babe Ruth, who truly was larger than life. And he was a kind of a shy, reserved guy who didn't seek the spotlight. What the movie did was to perpetuate that personality and perpetuate the courage of facing ALS, uh, ending his career because of what would be a fatal disease, and Gary Cooper's delivery of the speech is pretty much how we remember the speech. The newsreel is not fully preserved. There are only a few lines that are left. You played uh, a couple of them. And the speech, as Cooper delivered it, which is different than the way Gary delivered it, it's a shorter speech that thanks fewer people, but that is the way most people remember that speech. And the speech, almost more than any of the numbers that Gary put up, is how we remember him. Richard, uh, with Cooper, why was Cooper the right, the right choice to play Gehrig? Well, Cooper had uh, done a number of movies where he specialized in playing a man of quiet dignity. And that's pretty much what Gehrig was. It didn't matter that Cooper had never played baseball, that he needed to be taught how to play baseball over six weeks by Lefty O'Doul, the former National League batting champion. And... Uh, Back in 42, there was no great requirement that actors be great athletes. So uh, when Cooper plays Gehrig, uh, you see very little baseball action. If you look at uh, the movie from, from afar, baseball actions from afar, that's Babe Herman. That's not Gary Cooper. Babe Herman was a terrific uh, Brooklyn Dodger player. So, uh, and he learned to play baseball you know, reasonably well, considering he's 40 years old. He'd never played baseball before. And uh, over six weeks, he learned how to swing. Not great. He learned how to throw. Didn't need to throw very much. In fact, the only time we see him throw in the movie, the the film is actually flipped, and it's it's a right-handed Cooper being flipped to look like a left-hander. So there really wasn't very much for Cooper to impress people with with his baseball skills because it was not a baseball movie. Samuel Goldwyn ordained it would be a love story between Lou and Eleanor and the story of a courageous uh, a courageous ball player facing death. We're talking with Richard Sandomir. He's written a new book. It's called The Pride of the Yankees. Lou Gehrig, Gary Cooper, and the making of a classic. You mentioned before about how Babe Ruth was really larger than life and Gehrig's personality was was not such, but... You know, can you describe the relationship between the two of them and then the fact that Babe Ruth actually played himself in the movie, even though he had been retired, I believe, from baseball? Sort of how did Garrick's family, um, particularly his wife, feel about that? Well, you know, they they had a decent relationship over the years. I think for the most part, Garrick enjoyed the fact that Ruth, drew all the attention of the press that uh, he was the one, you know, he, he spoke, he was, his antics, his, uh, his great uh, play 
overshadowed a lot of players. And in those days, there wasn't that much of a requirement for players to speak to the press as much as it is now. There's no social media. Uh, but at some point in the 30s, uh, the two men uh, did not get along. Their uh, you know, vague reports of uh, Eleanor suspecting, uh, Lou suspecting that Eleanor and the babe had some sort of affair um, and some sort of story about uh, Mother Gehrig uh, criticizing Claire Ruth, babe's wife, for not dressing one of the babe's daughters well, as well as the other daughter. Um, but by the time uh, uh, the movie was made, uh, Eleanor Gehrig, who exerted, um, tried to exert a quite a deal of, quite a deal of, uh, quite a, quite a uh, great deal of influence on the movie, uh, she had made it clear that she didn't want Ruth in the movie at all. She felt he would steal scenes from from, from Cooper, and I'm I'm pretty sure she understood that she was not going to get rid of Ruth because he was basically the third star of the movie after Teresa Wright and, and Gary Cooper. So he. So she, she, she said, okay, you know, I just hope he's not going to be in any solo scenes. But the fact is, Babe Ruth knew how to play Babe Ruth pretty well. He'd done a few movies. He was pretty good as himself, as opposed to, say, George Steinbrenner, who had to be fired from Seinfeld because he couldn't play himself adequately. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the, uh, I, and I think it really worked out well because uh, the Babe was in a, a, a good number of scenes. Uh, one thing that people may not know is, well, two things. The babe lost about 50 pounds to play himself because he'd gotten fat and fatter in retirement. And uh, the toll of that weighed on him. And at some point during, for, for two weeks during the shooting of the film, he was in the hospital with pneumonia. And also, you may remember the scene where the Yankees celebrate winning the World Series and they're in a, tra- they're in a train and, and uh, at some point. And, and if you remember the scene, also, the babe seemed out of control. Uh, he may have had a few nips before the scene started. But at one point uh, in all the rambunctious celebration, he bashes his hand through a plate glass window. You don't see that. That's off screen. And he had to go to the hospital for that. And he got, uh, his hand was all, all bandaged. Uh, he broke a few blood vessels. So he had fun. In fact, I think he really enjoyed being there, being with some of his old teammates, and uh, reveling in being Babe Ruth again. He had somewhat been forgotten. This was uh, seven years after he last played for the Boston Braves. And nobody wanted to hire him as a manager, and he was playing a lot of golf and probably not being very happy. Richard, what did, uh, you know, it, that's fascinating. I mean, when you think about it and losing all the weight, I did we not realize Took a couple that. of nips before yeah. the scene. I've often thought about taking a couple of nips before the show, but we're on so well, early. You know, I mean, there, 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 there was one of the story editors uh, for Samuel Goldwyn who was kind of assigned to hang out with Babe and drink with him. So, <laughs> that's I, I fantastic. Imagine, you know, I mean, look, the, the Babe, you know, had had enough fun in his life and done enough rambunctious stuff so that if someone said, babe, act like you had too much to drink, he, he probably would have been able to do it, too. <laughs> yeah, he's method. Is that, yeah, he's yeah. uh, fully immersed. What did, what did the, how, about, how much did the movie embellish, um, Richard, uh, you know, on the Garrick story? Well, you know, it's um, Paul Gallico who wrote the original screenplay and the original outline and who would become best known years later for writing the uh, Poseidon Adventure, was asked as part of his contract to write down how much of the movie was absolutely true, how much of it was based on something that Eleanor told him, and how much was pure fiction. Two-thirds of it was based on something Eleanor told him and pure fiction. Um, you know, and this is really, uh, you really see that in, in some of the letters that Eleanor was sending to, the, uh, to Goldwyn 
Uh, for instance, uh, Eleanor said, look, the script says that, that Lou's parents were with us at our wedding. Not true. If you want to keep them in there, that's fine. They were not there. And you can't have Miller Huggins in a suit in an office uh, signing Lou Gehrig to his contract. They did it anyway. Uh, more likely you would have uh, seen Ed Barrow, the Yankees president and dynasty maker, uh, uh, sitting there signing Lou, but I guess it made more sense to play up the Huggins role. There wasn't, uh, I don't think there was anything of, of Barrow in the movie at all. So, and you know, Eleanor would say something like, y- you can't have Lou hit four home runs in a World Series game. <laughs> so, he, so he didn't. It turns out that, you know, for uh, little Billy, the, the kid with polio in the hospital that Lou and Dave visited, uh, he did hit two home runs in the World Series game. And, you know, Maybe it was certainly better than hitting four home runs in a game, but I don't think any ball player, maybe Ruth, I don't think any anyone with the modesty of Gehrig would have said, yeah, okay, little Billy, I'll hit two home runs for you. It also reminds me of another great Seinfeld episode where the little boy's in the bed and Kramer promises yep. that Paul O'Neill's going to hit two home runs for That's him. Right. One's an inside the Parker, and the kid doesn't want to give back the card. Uh, we're talking with Richard Sandemir. So, Eleanor, let's just talk a little bit more about her. Obviously, a lot of influence, uh, the wife of Lou Gehrig, and possibly Richard she may have had a hand in writing his famous July 4th retirement speech that we played at the top of the segment. Well, you know, all of that is a bit of a mystery. Uh, She gave several accounts over the years for uh, the provenance of the speech. Uh, They wrote it together. He wrote it himself. Uh, They rehearsed it. He he didn't rehearse it. All we know is that when, when Lou Gehrig walked up to the microphones, he had nothing in hand. And Eleanor, who was a great keeper of Lou's legacy, anybody who looks at the five scrapbooks that, he kept, that she kept of his career and his life, which are in the Hall of Fame, would see that she put everything in there. But there's no speech in there. So I think it's quite possible that nothing was actually written down. They may have jotted down a few notes. He may have been too nervous to bring them up, uh, to, to, to bring them here, may have forgotten them. Uh, but the newspaper accounts vary wildly on things that he said, and it, it, even the the clip that you played uh, is not a line that is in the official version that Eleanor said. Eleanor said to Goldwyn, "You need to have Cooper recite the speech just the way Lou said it, and I'm giving you this the speech he gave from memory." So her memory may have been faulty. She may not have accounted for the ways that Lou veered off during the speech. There is no version of the speech that includes a thanks to Bill Dickey, but newspaper writers said that he did. Uh, so, you know, it was, um, it's, a great, it's a greater speech if you think that he ad-libbed most of it. That, to me, is amazing. It's baseball's Gettysburg Address. That right. may be a bit of hyperbole. Sorry for the police sirens in the background. Uh, but the, the fact that he gave a two- to three-word speech took a few minutes. It's remembered all these years later. Some people f- remember it for the luckiest man line. Some people remember it for him just saying, I've, a ba- I've had a bad break. No one understood what was going on with him other than that he was retiring, that he was not well. He didn't really know. Nobody really knew how long he truly had. Eleanor was told maybe two and a half or three years, which is fairly accurate. Uh, she tried to make sure that he never knew how dire the prognosis was in the movie that's kind of flipped around so um 
I think the speech is more incredible for the fact that he went up there with nothing in hand. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is. Richard, how how, how do you think and the, some movies hold up better than others over the course of time? You know, for, how do you think, and, you wrote, and the book is great, and you wrote a, a great book on it, how do you think the movie has held up over the course of time? I think it's held up quite well. And, you know, you sort of have to separate it for, from all the baseball movies, the big ones that came out in the 80s, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, The Natural, uh, Eight Men Out, where the baseball action is substantially better. Uh, I think you have to look at Pride of the Yankees, really for the successful way that, uh, that Samuel Goldwyn framed it, as a love story and as the story of a courageous man facing death. Yeah. The, when I look at that movie, and I, still, I, I always cry during the speech, uh, and I've seen it more than 100 times, but when there's that little scene right before they, Eleanor and Lou leave for the stadium where he makes the speech, where she's watching him struggle to tie his tie, his dexterity is now gone. Uh, and he's trying to tie a tiny camp, and she tries to cheer him. And, and, but you, you see the tear coming out of her eyes as she's watching this silently, and he doesn't know. And then she tries to cheer him up by being, you know, dressing up as a vendor. And then the two of them both say, we have all our lives ahead of us. Uh. And each time each one of them says it, their, their voice catches in their throat. And I'm getting chills just talking about it. I think what they portrayed, even though their romance was, was chased, and they had a couple of kisses, but there wasn't much beyond that, uh, you saw them. They had a nice teasing relationship that started when they met, and he call, and she called him Tanglefoot when he flipped over the bats. Uh, it was a teasing. It was sweet. They never had a honeymoon. Uh, you know, in the in the movie they talk about it, but every day was a honeymoon. It really was a great love story, and that's the way it was marketed. There was very little baseball thrown into the posters and and the ads. And I think Goldwyn, because of his ignorance of baseball made a better movie than if he knew baseball and said, hey, let's have more baseball, let's have more Babe Ruth. I think the balance is perfect. You can't compare it to Bull Durham. In fact, Ron Shelton, who made Bull Durham and was a former minor league player, told me that he hated Pride of the Yankees so much, and Bull Durham was kind of a reaction to that. His mother loved it because of the love story. Right. Uh, so we, we have Pride of the Yankees to thank <laughs> Bull Durham. <laughs> That's a great story. Richard, congrats again on this achievement and on this book. Really appreciate it, and uh, congratulations. It's a fantastic read. It's called The Pride of the Yankees, Lou Gehrig, Gary Cooper, and the Making of a Classic. Richard, thanks a lot for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Happy Fourth of July. Happy Fourth, Richard. Thank you. Thanks, Moose.